0: From Jeffries and Gimlet Creative, this is Invisible Forces, a show about the unexpected factors shaping the global economy and our future. I'm Shannon Murphy. I'm the head of equities content at Jeffries. And I'm Erin Shea. I'm on the capital
1: intelligence team at Jeffries. Last week, we discussed the invisible forces driving evolution and mobility. We learned that enormous opportunities exist in finding new and efficient ways of moving ourselves, our packages, and our food.
2: This is a seven trillion to $10 trillion industry. There is not a single thing in the industry today that will
3: stay the same in the next 20 years. Not one thing.
1: If you missed that, be sure to
0: go back later and listen. Today, healthcare. Consider this. Global healthcare spending is expected to reach nearly $9 trillion by 2020. And in the U.S., it's one of the only sectors that's expected to create more jobs at higher wages continuously over the next decade. Healthcare is the biggest contributor to GDP growth.
1: This is happening because the global population is both growing and aging. At the same time, medical technology is advancing in leaps and bounds. And that's the part of the health economy we're going to focus on today. Innovation.
2: The current state of biotech is just innovation is happening at the quickest pace we've ever seen.
4: It's an amazing difference that many people, many neurologists like myself, had never believed possible.
5: It's kind of taken a disease from something that was definitely terminal and definitely nothing can be done to something that is actually can be managed.
3: I think uh, it's probably the most exciting period of biotech that I certainly have been watching over the last 20 years that I've been doing this.
0: These voices will take us through three hidden forces shaping current and future development of medical treatments. Along the way, we'll learn about therapeutic applications that are changing lives, and that could be the beginning of a long-sought medical revolution. The bottom line
1: is that while there are a lot of unknowns in the healthcare sector, there are also incredible opportunities. So we talked to Jared Holtz, Someone who has his finger on the pulse of what's going
0: on. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Great to be here. Jared is our equity strategist for healthcare at Jeffries. He spends his days navigating what he calls the most complex industry group in the equity market.
2: I think it's the most complex because it's the least, you could argue it's the least tied to the general market in terms of what's going on from a macro Perspective. You have over a thousand publicly traded companies that are all, you know, very idiosyncratic, different, esoteric, mutually exclusive, and they're all putting out information on such a constant basis that there's never a dull day. We walk in to the office, you know, during you know the time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and expect it to be quiet, and it's not. And we walk in in mid to late August and expect it to be quiet, and it's not.
0: And when you say mutually exclusive, a thousand companies is a lot. Are there more winners and losers in healthcare than there are in some other sectors?
2: Well, there can be big-time winners. Like, some of the moves that you will see in healthcare over the course of a year, and even on a day-to-day basis, are, I think, far, far greater what is coming out of these companies from a clinical trial and data standpoint can really alter the value of these firms in a dramatic way. And you don't see that with other areas. You don't see that in financials. You don't see that in industrials. Those other two spaces, for you know argument's sake, are much more mature. And so there is really not a great line of sight either way into good or bad companies. It's more of just the rate of change in which these companies are being founded and formed, we have not seen anything like it. You really have to do your homework and understand who you think the winners, who you think the losers are going to be. And that can change so many times between, you know, an idea, a clinical trial, commercialization, et cetera.
1: Jared explains that in doing that homework, there's something that he's always looking for in this crowded market.
2: If you really want to identify the ones that are going to make the most money, I think Finding those with unmet medical need where there are no approved products and patients have really no alternative, that's where investors are focused on.
1: This concept of unmet medical need is our first invisible force, because it's such a key driver for the development of new medicines and treatments. But the surprising thing is that there's actually no consensus on how to define unmet medical need.
0: This has real consequences. Scientists following trends in clinical trials say that having these different interpretations means there isn't alignment on how R&D is prioritized. They say better alignment would make treatment approval and access more predictable. Broadly speaking, unmet medical need can refer to whether there are already available treatments, as Jared mentioned, and if so, how effective are they? Disease burden can also come into play, meaning how serious is this disease? And then there's patient population, as in how many people are affected by this?
1: Unmet medical need is part of what led to the recent FDA approval of two groundbreaking treatments. This would be a good time to make another introduction.
3: So my name is Michael Yee. I'm a managing director and senior biotechnology analyst at Jefferies. And I spend a good amount of our time on behalf of Jeffries evaluating the private biotechnology company landscape, looking at the next generation of technologies and who's coming up in the industry, where are great places to invest, and how we can help them out.
0: Is there a corner of that that's most exciting to you right now?
3: Yeah. So the the biotechnology industry, which is constantly evolving over the last 10 or 20 years and pretty excited about what's around the corner, is related to Um, some of the recent advances in our industry involving gene therapy and cell therapy. They're similarly related in the concept of uh, using genetic information as a therapeutic or as a drug treatment. So gene therapy using a specific uh, gene or piece of DNA that could actually be used to cure or treat a disease. That's obviously pretty novel and exciting. And related to that, using cell therapy or using your own cells, using your own immune fighting cells to be able to fight cancer and other diseases. So we've gone from the concept of using pills or chemicals to actually using DNA or your own immune system to fight diseases. But that's an amazing advance over the last couple of years. And we've just had our first couple of these drugs approved recently, which was a big breakthrough and a big landmark achievement.
1: One of the first drugs came from Spark Therapeutics in December of 2017. It cures a form of blindness caused by a genetic
3: mutation. In this case, there is a mutation in your DNA involved in a protein in your eye, and then uh, because of that defective protein, you can't translate light. Uh, and so therefore, in a, a dark room or at dusk, a person would have a hard time seeing uh, things, so they would, uh, couldn't walk down the street, couldn't walk around your house. That's a devastating blindness that happens over time, and it involves perhaps a couple thousand patients in the U.S.
0: Clinical trials began about 12 years ago, and Michael says it's extraordinary to think of what this treatment has achieved.
3: What the Spark therapeutics drug does is a a gene therapy, which is the DNA sequence for that protein that is broken, and uh, they inject uh, billions of copies of that in one injection into the back of the eye, And that DNA is then ultimately processed and then makes the protein that you're missing. So uh, in one injection, you can inject enough of the DNA to make that protein, which therefore now that person has the protein that they've been missing. That's pretty remarkable.
0: The next gene therapy breakthrough quickly followed from a company called Avexis, which was recently acquired by Novartis. This treatment is for spinal muscular atrophy.
3: Which is a rare disease caused by a mutation in a gene that leads to the lack of a protein required for normal muscle development or normal development of a baby. These infants will die within the first year or so because they cannot develop normally. The baby cannot move around. It's actually diagnosed originally because the baby's not moving, can't sit up, and eventually dies due to the lack of uh, development of their body.
1: To understand the magnitude of these innovations and the hope they're spurring for the future, we're going to meet one of the researchers that helps bring it to market and a family who now has the life with their son that they never thought possible. Dr. Petra Kaufman worked at the National Institutes for Health before joining Avexis.
4: When I saw the difference that gene therapy makes, I decided to move to Avexis And I get up every day really passionate about this opportunity to make a difference. And for me, this is really a new era in medicine.
0: For Dr. Kaufman, this new era began with the approval of the drug Michael is talking about. It's called Zolgensma.
4: There was just an amazing moment changing the lives, I think, of people with SMA certainly, but also for me, giving hope that we can reach many more patients with diseases for which there is right now no good treatment, where there's a huge unmet need and no clear path how to address it uh, other than a therapy like gene therapy that can address the root cause. And I think, you know, the reality right now for many of these patients is they, they have shortened life expectancy, but they have also to struggle with a lot of hospitalizations, a lot of, um, you know, often in SMA, for example, surgeries for scoliosis, you know, feeding tubes, the difficulty speaking in the very severe form, you know, where even the muscles that are needed for speech are not really uh, sufficient, major breathing problems
0: This is what Laura and Matt Weisgarber were bracing for when their son Donovan was diagnosed with type 1 SMA.
5: We went to Donovan's um, one-month checkup, and what we hadn't noticed at home was that he was already starting to develop muscle weakness, probably around two or three weeks old. And by the time we got to that appointment, he had lost his reflexes and a lot of those things that they check for at newborn well checks. So the doctor was pretty concerned. She didn't know what was wrong, but she knew something was wrong. Doctor
1: soon confirmed that Donovan had SMA. A few weeks later, they went back for another appointment.
2: We're like, we don't want to go to this. We know he's terminal. Like, nobody wants to talk to us. And then we're sitting in the waiting room, and the doctor runs out and is like, I need to talk to you right now. That's when she told us, like, there's a trial to try to treat SMA and there's one spot left and we want Donovan for it.
1: Within days of the treatment, Matt and Laura started to see changes in Donovan.
5: We were back at the doctor's office and he was laying on the table in the doctor's office waiting for the doctor to come in and he just picked up his arm off the table and like held his hand in the air, um, just at the elbow, just bent his elbow and picked his arm up. And he hadn't done that. I mean, since he was a newborn, we were like, oh my gosh, like something's happening. Like this is really working.
0: It's been two years since Dadaman's treatment. And although changes have been slow, he's come an incredibly long way. He can
5: move every part of his body. He can swallow now. He can drink water. He can chew and eat food. This is giving someone a chance at life. And there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I my reasonable optimism that I have that Donovan's going to live into adulthood, I think he will. Obviously, there's no guarantees. We don't know. But it seems like that's what the science says, that this is going to stick around and not change. And if he does have problems in the future, I mean, there's a lot of... Things that are also being developed that might help him, um, just in managing his life and his quality of life.
4: Every time I speak to parents, it's it's just uh, amazing having had to tell too many parents this news when there was really no silver lining. It just means so much to me to hear parents say this. And I think it's also this observation that, um, you know, it's, it's a chance at life and also how quickly it worked.
1: Jeffrey's senior biotech analyst, Michael Yi says that these kinds of stories really highlight the importance and potential of gene therapy.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, hearing that uh, I think really resonates not only uh, for uh, the families, but for those involved and certainly for any, I guess, person with a heart to understand what an, uh, a miraculous achievement is to uh, to have come up with a drug like this to save someone's life. Being uh, involved in following uh, this and knowing what's coming around the corner, I think it's pretty exciting for certainly investors, but more importantly for patients and families and doctors. So I can uh, understand that story and I'm excited about uh, what's around the corner as well.
0: Let's explore our second invisible force now. It's the reason that so many treatments like gene therapy are finally possible.
3: The innovations in it is all driven by some of the early learnings from sequencing the human genome, since we now understand uh, sort of what I like to say the analogy is understanding the alphabet and understanding that alphabet leads to words, and those words lead to a story, and uh, we're starting to understand those words and how that's playing in a story.
1: The Human Genome Project was a global effort that began in 1990 and was completed in 2003. It gave scientists and researchers the ability to read and identify All of the genes in human DNA.
3: Once we've been able to sequence the human genome, once we've been able to figure out what genes do, now we're actually able to treat a disease. uh, And that all happened in the last 10 or 15 years since the sequencing of the human genome. Once you even understand what a gene might do, which took us a long time, then it takes another 10 years to get a drug developed to, to treat a disease. So from a bench to bedside, as I like to say, that could be as long as 10 years. Part of the exciting thing is the development of uh, of a gene therapy. Once you actually know what's going on with what gene can be as short as five years. And uh, the recent approval of two gene therapies literally was probably half the time it took to develop other types of pills and chemicals because we actually know what gene is broken here. We can actually replace that gene. That's pretty exciting
0: This brings us to our last invisible force, optimism. Things that used to be considered moonshots are now more when than if. New startups are being founded every day and are responsible for a lot of these breakthroughs. And through what we've heard so far, this spirit of innovation really comes through. Michael says we can expect
1: more groundbreaking treatments sooner than we think. That includes treatments that provide new levels of customization.
3: We talked about the blindness, the ability to use gene therapy to treat SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, for those uh, babies with the use of Zolgensma. Uh, Now, I think what is the next evolution to that, which there's a lot of investment being made into and which there's a lot of enthusiasm, is around gene editing. So there are now companies that are public uh, that are using therapeutic gene editing for the treatment of different diseases, either to block a gene or to literally try and cut out the bad gene and replace it with the good gene in one administration.
0: That's pretty fascinating as well. Is it at all possible that in our lifetimes, you talked earlier about moving from chemicals and pharmaceuticals to dealing with our own immune systems to heal us, that all of our healing comes from our own bodies? Well, I I think that
3: the immune system, which is certainly potentially very powerful for cancer because you're using that to fight off something that's attacking you and causing an uncontrolled cell death and causing cancer, which is then taking over the body. I think that concept is now being actually employed to use your immune system to treat neurodegenerative diseases. So a company is trying to use the immune system to fight off Alzheimer's disease um, as sort of the next evolution.
0: Jeffrey's healthcare strategist, Jared Holtz, says he's particularly excited about where cancer treatment is headed.
2: I think within the next five to 10 years, oncology is going to be like a transformational disease state as far as what the therapies on market are. The treatments are going to be far better, less side effects, and the outlook in terms of survival is also going to be greatly enhanced.
0: Where is all of this innovation happening?
2: Yeah, I mean, the innovation is happening at... Small labs all across the country and, and internationally, you know, you ha- you have entrepreneurs or you have uh, physicians or a combination of the two that are leading to the formation of these small companies. And most of the R&D efforts and the entrepreneurial facet of the industry is happening at these smaller, much more focused biotech companies that are developing these, these interesting drugs that will then either become bona fide success stories on their own or they will sell out to larger corporations in need of pipeline augmentation or just general growth.
0: Do you think that healthcare investors are by definition or by nature more optimistic than other investors because they are playing in a space that is focused on enhancing and improving the lives of individuals kind of across the world?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the only sort of group that seems to not have that optimism with respect to the business or equities, as we would sort of define it, would be those that are extremely sensitive to what they believe businesses to be worth. And I think what we've learned over time is that when you have products or, uh, or drugs that are actually changing lives of patients, that the market is willing to pay much more than we think for those assets. And I think investors that are covering healthcare and are seeing how the landscape is changing and has changed over the past really any period of time, five years, 10 years, 15, how can you not be optimistic? It's pretty much one of the only spaces that allows for truly life-altering development in a way that we can all relate to in some way or another.
1: This optimism combined with unmet medical need and knowing more than ever about the human genome will continue to bring forth massive advancements in biotech and not just in the distant future, but in our lifetimes. Next time on Invisible Forces, We'll find out how consumers' tastes are evolving and how companies are
6: responding. And I think at the end of the day, what what these companies are trying to do is just form more closeness, form a relationship uh, that's emotional rather than transactional.
0: That's next week. In the meantime, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. This episode was produced by Carrie ann Thomas, Emily Foreman, and Jorge Estrada. Our senior producer is Matt Schiltz. Our editor is Renita Jablonski. Music and mixing by Marcus Begala. Additional mixing by Katie McMurrin. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. Production help from Soraya Shockley. Special thanks to Matt and Laura Weisgarber and Dr. Petra Kaufman. See you next week.
6: Jeffries, the full-service global investment banking firm headquartered in the U.S., focused on serving clients for more than 55 years, is a leader in providing insight, expertise, and execution to investors, companies, and governments. The firm provides a full range of investment banking, advisory, sales and trading, research, and wealth management services across all products in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffrey's entity to the audience. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. This is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. It may be based on subjective assessments and assumptions and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. Participation of a research analyst in this podcast does not mean that any Jefferies entity accepts any authority, discretion, or control over the management of the listener's assets. Any action taken by the listeners of this podcast based on the information presented is at the listener's sole judgment and risk. The listener must perform his or her own independent review of any investment discussed. The price and value of any investments referred to herein and the income from them may fluctuate. Past performance is not a guide to future performance, future returns are not guaranteed, and a loss of original capital may occur. No responsibility is accepted, and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given in either case, expressly or impliedly, by Jeffreys as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based, or the use of any of the same. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, agents, or representatives will be liable for any direct indirect or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, taxation, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction, and is not providing any advice as to any such matter. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.